If, if you look in the Gospels, you'll oftentimes see Jesus be traveling with his disciples, and he'll send a couple of them ahead of the rest of the group to the next town. Um, I'm not convinced that he was going ahead and having them get all the AV in the room set up. But sometimes, I, I appreciate the uh, friends were talking about things. Uh, our church is the same issue. We have a screen, we have this and that. I have a guest speaker coming uh, in a few hours for our church, and he's a brave man. He's bringing slides on a thumb drive, and I hope in the mercy of God the folks will be able to put that in and everybody can watch and enjoy. So I appreciate the folks. Uh, I always appreciate folks who do all the background work, so AV people, thank you very much. Okay. Uh, we're going to be looking today at the Gospel of Mark, verses, chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. Uh, my style of preaching is to generally go through a book. I like series preaching. Uh, that way you always know what you're going to do the next week. Uh, but it's good to go through God's Word. Um, I'd like to read a, a verse for you from Mark chapter 1, verse 44. Uh, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony uh, to them. Uh, what we're going to be looking at is a message I've titled, we, They Were Coming to Him. Um, I appreciate the summers have been hosting us, and uh, uh, my wife, Barbara, is David's wife's sister, and I'm trying to learn things, always, always learn things, and so I've learned that if we want to save a little bit of money, we go to a restaurant, I don't ask for um, a bottle of water, because you know, you just keep bringing the bottles of water, I've learned to say, now correct me, um, ayaputi, right? <laughs> then they bring it to you in a little thing, and they pour it in, and you save uh, 15,000 rupiah every time they pour that for you. Uh, I've learned, uh, so, so forgive me, I've got it on my device, because I just, I don't remember anything. I don't have a secretary, everything goes in my device. So, Tanamakasi, thank you. And then when, when uh, I've said that to people, they've responded one of two ways, and I guess it's just how much you want to talk. People will either say, sama-sama, or if they want to say, not sama-sama, but say, not saying the sama, they'll say, sama-dua. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm learning more things. Um, and when I first came to, to places, I started walking around, I'd leave, and I said, hmm, I have to meet this guy named Tariq. All, this, all the doors say Tariq. <laughs> Exit, right? Uh, and then uh, as I interact here in Jakarta, I learned there are some other things you would want to say. Um, I go to Romania sometimes and teach in a Bible school there, and if you meet someone in the morning, you'll say, Buna de Miazza, good morning. And here, I, I don't say, du when I meet certain people from certain national backgrounds, I'll walk up and say, good day, mate. So I don't have an Australian translator, uh, so hopefully you guys will just follow along. And I, and I appreciate your patience uh, with being with me today because, yeah, I'm from out of town. Things are a little bit different. So I appreciate your patience with me. Um, uh, at, my, at my church, um, uh, I like to enjoy myself. I have a lot of kids and uh, such, so I'll, I'll use cartoons for things. So you'll see this one up here. Here's a person sitting. Uh, he's reading his sheep magazine. He's got his TV on. He's got some media playing. And there's a shepherd calling him. And he says, and notice he has his, I, on, on, the, on the plane, uh, you know, earphones. I don't have any earphones because half the time I'm kind of struggling and trying to watch the little thing that's on the screen ahead of me. Uh, I wonder why I don't hear the shepherd anymore. And you see the shepherd's screaming at him and, uh, he's got other things going on. My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. 
I like to read surveys, results, and things. So uh, data collected from, two, from studying 20,000 Christians in 139 countries, but mostly they were Americans. So I'm telling things on Americans first, okay? Yeah, they're all true. All the things you've heard in America, they're true. Um, between the ages of 15 and 88, it's something called the Obstacles to Growth Survey, and it found that on average, 40% of Christians around the world say that they often or always rush from task to task. I mean, you're busy right here or there, going to every, every time you're busy. Six out of 10 Christians said that it's often or always true that the busyness of life gets in the way of developing their relationship with God. Christians most likely to agree were from North America, Africa, and Europe. Busyness affects us, but we who will say that we know God, we're in his family, we read our Bible, we try to please him, 62% of women, 61% of men say that their busyness of their daily life, the things they choose to do, interfere with their relationship with God. People like me are no different. By profession, interestingly enough, by profession, pastors were more likely to say they rush from task to task, 54%, which adversely affects their relationship with God, 65%, or two out of three guys who do what I do say, uh, I've got too much going on in my life to read my Bible. Quote, uh, it's tragic and ironic, the very people who could best help us escape the bondage of business are themselves in chains. That's the issue that we have as we look here and see the transition of what's going on with Jesus. What we're going to be looking at in this Bible passage from 35 to 45 is going to be an illustration of two scenes. In verses 35 through 39 in Mark chapter 1, we're going to gain insight in how Jesus saw his mission now and notice as a teacher, speaking about the good news in synagogues. Verses 40 through 45, Jesus continues this mission, seeing himself primarily as a teacher and moving on to others to honor God and give their testimony of the Father's plan, not trying primarily to gain fame as a healer. I'm gonna scroll up a little bit and look at what had just happened. Jesus had healed some people. He had, uh, his hometown member, Jesus, was born in Bethlehem, grew up around the Sea of Galilee, uh, Capernaum, Kefir Nahum, the hometown of Nahum, uh, the city of Nahum. And that's where he uh, worked with his uh, father, seemingly as a carpenter, learned a skill, people knew him, saw he and his family. He had left for a while and come back, and when he had come back, he'd spoken in a synagogue, he healed people, and Simon's mother-in-law, Simon and Andrew seemed to share this house, an extended family. Uh, She was sick, Jesus healed her, and verse 32, when evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing him all, notice all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. The whole city gathered at the door, He healed many who were ill with various diseases, cast out demons. He was not permitting the demons to speak. So the point is Jesus has done the exceptional, the miraculous. 
He has spoken and taught, and then he has touched individual people's lives, and crowds of people came so that he could heal them. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came to explain, to interpret the Father to people. And so oftentimes people have the wrong perspective. They see God of the Old Testament is judgmental. God of the New Testament is loving. Uh, that is an incorrect contrast to make. Uh, God so loved the world, what that he gave is his only son. Uh, God is love. God, I think that is his number one quality characteristic is God is loving to us. Jesus is moved with compassion, feels in the pit of his stomach when he looks out and sees people and knows their hearts and minds. Jesus wants to touch people, to heal people, to help people find peace with God. But Jesus primarily came, at least in this aspect of his ministry, to tell us the truth. John chapter 18 and 19, when Jesus was about to be crucified, he says, for this reason I came. Oh, what did he say? To bear witness of the truth. So Jesus came to tell people how to meet God. Jesus was different from most of the other teachers. He didn't just stand up and give a bunch of views. He wasn't there reading the nine o'clock news. Jesus talked about things that were important. He talked about family, talked about forgiveness, talked about heaven and hell, talked about money, uh, talked about uh, how to get along with your friends. Jesus talked about things that folks connected with and had a need for, for day-to-day things. So when Jesus came, following up on the ministry of his predecessor, John the Baptizer, that was our first message this morning, uh, John the Baptizer came preaching repentance and forgiveness. John gets arrested. Jesus now comes on the scene. John the Baptizer laid the way for him, the forerunner. Jesus picks up the same message. God had, the Father had sent the Baptizer to get people used to thinking about their relationship with God, What does God expect from me? What should I confess? What is wrong? How can God forgive me? So Jesus picks up the same message. Jesus came preaching repentance, forgiveness. But because he was the creator God, Colossians chapter one, Jesus created people and he looks at us and he knows all the things that cause us stress to feel that God does not notice. Did God care? Why didn't he fix this? And so over the few days that Jesus is around, he does something. The next day, that's where we are, verse five, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a secluded place, and was what? Praying there. Jesus had had a busy day speaking in synagogues. That means it was a Saturday during the day. Uh, He had cast out a demon from a demon-possessed man. I think the demon possession in the New Testament was more than normal. Why? Satan knew who Jesus was. He knew who he was there. He wanted to obfuscate God's plan, wanted to either stop God's plan or change God's schedule. Jesus had a specific schedule from the Father when I believe he would be crucified and risen from the dead. And Satan was doing everything possible to distract people, to cause Jesus to not do his Father's business. So it would be active and draining to any human, and Jesus, the God-man, still had to eat, still had to drink, still had to rest, uh, still communed with his friends. He'd stayed with Peter. Uh, Had he gone? Where where did he go? Uh, What did he do? Where did he pray? We don't really know, except it was around that era of the area of Capernaum. 
Jesus, as he was doing live what the Father had wanted him to do, this is why he was sent to the earth, this was his calling, his ministry was to give his life for us, but Jesus was that perfect God-man, the unique one. Uh, when your Bible says only begotten, I like to look at it and understand that word by usage meaning unique. There was no one else ever was or ever will be like Jesus. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus was unique. But as he started his day, he made sure, maybe we talk about that busy part, he made sure he got up early to pray first, to reflect, to commune with his Father. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus relied sometimes on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He scheduled a quick quiet retreat to pour out his heart to his heavenly Father. What's it like? I'm doing these kinds of things now. I'm interacting with people. I'm going out and doing the business. He attached a great importance to prayer. By the way, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus had lived in heaven, right? He was with the Father face to face, John chapter 1. Uh, that's what that means. When he was with, he was face to face. Jesus prayed regularly when he was baptized with a Baptist. He prayed. Uh, before choosing the 12 disciples, he prayed. When feeding the 5,000 before he started, he prayed. Uh, before asking his disciples important questions, he would pray. Before teaching the Lord's Prayer, he prayed. Uh, at Lazarus' tomb, he prayed. On the cross, he prayed. After the resurrection, he prayed. So the fact that Jesus prayed, uh, and it's some, there is some aspect where Jesus is an example of us, for us, excuse me, if there's anything we don't do enough of is we don't read our Bible enough and we don't pray enough. Why? An example of Jesus and some of the rest of the teachings of the New Testament. So after healing, after doing this, Jesus had got out, he began to pray, and people came looking for him. Jesus, where are you? Where'd you go? Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Let me tell you something that I'm not doing today. Uh, sometimes I'll go speak at Awana groups. Uh, God is merciful. My primary reason to be here this week is I'm uh, doing a lecture on eschatology at STTII, the seminary here in Jakarta. Uh, but I do a lot of things with kids, and when I have a group of people gathered, Christian workers, I'll do some interesting things to keep their attention to show them what they do with kids. One thing that you can do, shh, don't tell anybody I did this, is if you get a large container of water and pour dish soap in it, go down to the hardware store and get one of those propane refill bottles, take the top off, put that under the water, squirt, let those bubbles all come up, Scoop your hand in the bubbles, walk away, barbecue letter, <laughs> because your hand has been in a container that's had water, it makes a little tiny envelope so that when the propane ignites, it doesn't burn your arm, doesn't even turn it red. So we use that to illustrate with children and other people that there's safety if you do things the right way. God will keep you safe if you follow him, if you follow his plans, and if you obey him. But if I came in here and lit a fire, you probably have fire things that would go off. 
Uh, you probably wonder, what's going on? Uh, so that, that's not what I'm doing, because I'm not here just to be a dog and pony show. Uh, we're here to talk about God's word. The concern for Jesus, remember, Jesus was here to teach, to tell people how to get to God. Jesus did not want to have the reputation only as a miracle worker. They were not knowing where Jesus was. They went looking after healing a bunch of people the day before. People were already there at people's family's house. Surely Jesus would want to see him. Jesus would want to heal everybody. But no. Jesus is ready to go to the next town. Why? That's what, notice, I came for. Jesus did not come to heal everyone, although there's many stories where he will heal everyone in a region, whether they believed or not. Jesus came to communicate the truth and the Father's love and that he loved them as well. But Jesus is here with a message, a message of repentance and faith, conversion. Capernaum would not monopolize his time and freeze his movements. So he went into their synagogues throughout Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. This is what Jesus is doing. At that time, you know, gospel, uh, good news, that's the idea. You didn't have to understand the gospel, what's the gospel? Jesus came to preach the good news. What's the good news? God has a means for you to be with him forever. It's based on you understanding what separates you from God. Isaiah 59, verse 1, what the Lord's hand is not short, that he cannot touch you. What has separated us, our sins have separated us from God. And that was Jesus' message. Jesus never soft-pedaled sin. He never said, don't worry about it, that's okay, it's not a problem. No, what was going to happen because of our sin? Jesus died. Jesus understood the importance of dealing with our own personal sinfulness. Uh, God wants us to come to him. He wants us to repent, to change, to accept this good news. Jesus then was traveling, that's why he was sent. He was, and this is about a year after he first began his ministry. So about out of the three years or so, this is like the end of year one. Uh, Jesus went to the synagogues, he was speaking, he was casting out demons. Mark had already noted some of these things. The synagogue's emphasis was teaching. The temple's emphasis was offering. So that's why Jesus went to where? Right now, he's going to the synagogues. Jesus went to the temple to participate in the annual offerings like he was supposed to, but it was later in his life. And when he would show up at the times appointed for a Jewish man to participate, that's when he would go to the temple, but he didn't hang around there most of the time. He was off-Broadway. He was in individual groups, in individual synagogues, preaching every Saturday, interdicting with people that he would saw, that he would see, excuse me. And here's the transition as we get some concrete evidence of this leper at his best and his worst. Uh, and a leper came to him. By the way, some people try to say this leprosy was, no, this is real leprosy. This man was unclean. He would not have had friends. He would have been alone most everywhere he went. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We don't know where this was, somewhere on the Galilean trip, a, a leper. And by the way, if you're a leper, there were two kinds of leprosy. There was the active contagious leprosy. There was the not as contagious leprosy, but it was all still difficult, upsetting. People would be uncomfortable if you walked in the room. 
if you were a leper and you encountered almost any size group of people, you would say, Tuma, Tuma, unclean, unclean. So people would know to watch out for you. I mean, it's not like today where you get a little bit of cough and you sneeze into your elbow so people, oh, you're, you're sick, I'm not going to shake hands with you today. He would actively cause people to not have contact with him in case he was contagious. So you walk in a room and you tell people, stay away. Don't touch me. Don't even really come near me. So you can imagine the life that this man had. Terrible. And Jesus, as we've said, who's come to communicate what the Father is like. Jesus, who is moved with compassion when he sees people. This man approaches him. And came close enough to be touched by Jesus. Luke chapter 17, verse 12, pictures a group of lepers. And as Jesus was speaking, they showed up, but they were over off on the side. Why? They're lepers. They, A, weren't supposed to come by, but B, uh, they were concerned they did not want to bother other people. Whatever was about this man, he must have heard about Jesus. Perhaps he even heard Jesus talking on some of these other occasions. Maybe he followed him from town to town a little bit. We're not sure. But he was confident enough that Jesus would do something for him that he approached him. If you are willing, you can make me clean. He must have felt that Jesus was someone he could approach. One of the things we need to do somehow as we go about our business in a professional way, take care of our family, go shopping and stuff, is people would see that we're not an angry person. We're not someone who is too loud. We're not someone who is overly aggressive and critical, but whatever it is about us when we go in, uh, smile friendly, professional, you do your thing, people can see that we also are what? Approachable. People can talk to us. There's something I'll call a uh, spiritual conversation. I mentioned this in the first message. Romans chapter one says that there is no one that seeks after God. I'm sorry, Romans chapter three, there's no one that seeks after God. That means if someone is talking to you about God, Jesus, Bible, makes a reference to something religious, it's very possible that the Holy Spirit has begun to work in that person's heart or mind to convict them of their sin. What will they do? God interacts with them and with us, puts us in the situation so we can have some part of a spiritual conversation with them. Uh, let me tell a story about myself. Years ago, I used to work at... Uh, 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 a recycling company, a.k.a. it was a junkyard. I was the guy that would buy copper and uh, steel and stuff at a scale. And we had this, the crabbiest customer we ever had. His name was John. John came in on a Monday morning. That was important because John's a regular customer. He would always complain, always be crabby, always want to check your weights and stuff like that. And the night before, on Sunday night, went to church, and we had a guest speaker come in at our church, and the man challenged us, when's the last time you witnessed to somebody? When's the last time you tried to sell somebody the gospel? You might not make it all the way through, but when's the last time you tried? So afterwards, I thought, you know what, the first customer that comes in, I'm gonna try to witness to him. So John came in, and I thought, this'll be easy. I'll start talking about God a little bit, and John will shut me down, and no problem. 
My boss was a Christian. He was uh, on our, our church's board. Um, his son was an attorney, my best friend, and we all went to church together. So this guy, John, backs in his, his van, gets out, opens it up, comes out, and he says, one of you is going to be a lawyer, one of you is going to be a preacher, which one of you is going to be a preacher? So, uh, God thing, right? Everybody's got to listen for a God thing. And I said, it's me. And bless his heart, he didn't want to waste anybody's time, so while I'm working, he starts asking me how he can be saved. He's suddenly convicted about his sins. So there were several of the people who worked there were believers. That was Monday morning. Wednesday, I didn't go to work because I was working my way through school, and they let me have some time off to get some schoolwork done. I came back on Thursday. John had spoken to another older man uh, in his 70s who essentially was just a driver, 70-year-old drivers in America, uh, and he led him to Christ in the office. Time went by. His personality completely changed. Next thing you know, he's got a little puppy with him. Uh, because he worked weekends, uh, because he was doing this scrap kind of stuff, we baptized, uh, my pastor baptized him on a Wednesday night. We had Wednesday night service. And so sometimes God has all those things lined up. And I didn't even have to gulp and wonder what I was going to say. The guy came out, but God had prepared me. Now that doesn't happen very much. I don't have the gift of evangelism, but everybody's supposed to witness. Amen? Yes? Yes, amen? I made him say amen this morning, so I will make you do it again. That'll be the only time. But somehow, that's what's going on. Someone that God can approach, because God, we are the plan. We are God's plan for this world. How people are going to get saved? It's us. So, Jesus was moved with compassion. In other Gospels that compare this, only Mark notes the state of Jesus' emotions. Oops, Sorry. I appreciate Christy Summers letting me use her remote. It's not my normal remote. So I hit the wrong button. Forgive me. Forgive me. So only Mark notes the state of Jesus' emotion. He was moved in his inner being. The original language here is like the idea of you, you felt something in the pit of your stomach. The idea is you were emotionally grabbed and it affected you. This is the most common emotion ascribed to Jesus in the Bible, and it's obvious the creator God who cares about who he created would be concerned about them. Like if you have some special things that are, like if you're a kid with toys, or maybe it's a book, or maybe you lend somebody your device, and all of a sudden you see them spill water on it, you're concerned, but you're concerned for your device. Jesus sees us and sees that we are damaged goods because of our own fault, of our own sin. But because we are Jesus's, he is emotionally concerned about us and wants us, via the message of the gospel, that good news, via the teaching, to have the chance to be redeemed. The leper comes. Again, forgive me, this is not magic. Uh, some people will say, pray these words and this and that. That's not the point. There's no magic words to use to have something happen. You approach Jesus, deal with him personally on a one-to-one -one basis. Talk about your sin, confess, repent, change. You're going to find the renewal that comes with him. The power to heal did not flow out of Jesus' fingers or some formula. 
You know, like if they, if they, um, if that thing hanging in Italy is really the burial robe of Christ, well, that's a nice thing. But if you touch it, uh, if you break the glass and touch it, you'd probably go to jail because you broke in. But it's not, it doesn't have healing power. Jesus has the healing power, not the things connected with Jesus. The healing came from the sympathetic heart of the divine Jesus, and he sympathizes with us. He cares for us. Now, here's the best and the worst. When we come to Christ, we become believers. God has loved us. God has brought us into his group. God gives us some spiritual gifts, but God wants us to be his disciples. He wants us to follow him. He connects us to a group like this where we can practice our spiritual gifts. God moves in us, we love somebody else. God moves in them, they love us. Somehow we practice our Christianity with each other. We're patient with each other. We're forgiving with each other. We try to encourage and enforce the truth in each other, however you work on these kinds of things. Jesus told the leper he had healed up in Galilee, up north, so it's a little ways for him to go to Jerusalem. Jesus sent this newly remade man to the temple asking him to travel to Jerusalem and show him to the priest. Why? That was what he was supposed to do. So when you look at Old Testament, Book of Leviticus, if you were someone who was healed from a particular disease, uh, sometimes it's specific to the disease, sometimes it's just general, you were supposed to go and show your thanks to God using the priest that was God's agent for the moment. So Jesus told him, listen, I've healed you, but don't go running around telling everybody, Jesus heal me, Jesus heal me, Jesus heal me. Go and be a testimony at the temple. So what Jesus wanted this guy to do is make his way down, go to Jerusalem, long travel, um, and part of the process was to make a sacrifice. And it was designed, for, uh, expecting people who were ill wouldn't have much money. Uh, it was an inexpensive sacrifice. There would be two birds. He was supposed to get two birds, take it to the priest, who would kill one, drain the blood, take the blood that came out, sprinkle it on the living bird, and let it go. Kind of like you're the concept of the scapegoat, one goat set free, one goat sacrificed. And then some of that little bit, a tiny bit of blood would then be sprinkled one, two, three, four, five, six, seven on the healed man. This was the process that he would have done. So some of the issue is the priest didn't see people get healed very much. This would be something miraculous. So Jesus wanted to send the man to the priest to go through the process that Moses had already set up, a.k.a. God wanted them to do this, but the priest then would ask, tell us how you were healed. So can you imagine, a crowd would have gathered, because here's, here's a healed guy. He's got the healed guy sacrifice. What's happening? He's not going to say, well, I went to this doctor to Memorial Sloan Kettering. I went to uh, somebody like with, with Christy at the nurse uh, Upaha school. No, no, he says, there's this guy I'd never seen before. His name is Jesus from Nazareth, and he healed me. Can you imagine the impact on the priests? That's what Jesus wanted him to do, to give honor to God and the personal testimony of Jesus at the temple as an agent for healing would have then traveled through the priestly group that was working that day. 
Because remember, Jesus came to give testimony to the truth. And he wanted God to be praised and to see that he himself had been God's agent. They would be clear and plain that this guy was healed by Jesus. It would be obvious that he was changed. Matter of fact, Jesus wanted this to happen so much. You know, this, he sternly warned him. Jesus would have, I mean, if you get something tremendous, oh, thanks, I got something I really wanted. Well, you're going to tell everybody, look what I got, look what I got, look what I got. Jesus wanted to be clear. I know your, te- your tendency is going to be to tell your friends, you go to Jerusalem. The word sternly here originally came into the Greek language describing the sound when a horse snorted. <laughs> So Jesus, almost in a snortingly angry voice, says, don't you do it. Don't you stop. You go now. Got it? Got the picture? You understand? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus was making plain this was the testimony he wanted was for this guy to go witness to the priests. Uh, some places in the New Testament, this word is translated reproached or scolded because it's a very harsh way to speak to somebody. Jesus clearly told the man what to do. However, uh, like us sometimes, but he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus should no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Remember what Jesus, I was saying, didn't want? Jesus did not want to be a dog and pony show. He didn't want people to come, Jesus, my right foot is sore, what should I do? He didn't want that. He was here to preach, he was here to give the good news, he was here to tell people how to meet God the Father. The Father had sent him, had sent the Spirit to give energy to him, to his word, so that the people could be redeemed. And the result of this man telling everybody that Jesus had healed him caused so that when Jesus, who wanted to go synagogue to synagogue, town to town, and tell the truth, preach the gospel, tell people this message of repentance and confession, now when he traveled, people would stop him. I know you. Can you help my mother-in-law? Can you help my kid? Uh, I don't feel that good either. Um, so suddenly, Jesus could not easily get in from spot to spot and spread the message. Why? That is what he had come to do. In the, uh, looking at earlier thing, what we saw when Jesus talked to the disciples. Why are we leaving town? I was sent to teach the good news. So God blessed this leper by sending Jesus. However, this leper messed up the plan. He did exactly what Jesus had told him not to do. Verse 40, the guy's best. By faith, Jesus, you can heal me. Verse 45, as soon as he's saved, disobeys. The crowds now came and clung to Jesus so much he could not go from town to town. The ones who, the ones who sought and who wanted came to Jesus Jesus wanted to go out and seek and to save, but suddenly it became such a crowd, such a misdirection that Jesus had to lay low for a while, let the popularity go down, because he came to save those who are lost. For us, you see Jesus hard on display. If you ever wonder, does Jesus care about people? Yes, he does. Does Jesus care about you? Yes, he does. Psalm 62, Psalm 63 tells us, pour out your heart to God. His heart desperately needed his father more than anyone else. He'd left early to pray. He left to commune. He left to prepare for the day. 
His heart was moved deeply by the suffering and faith of a shunned man. Jesus is moved by us. Uh, we live in a world that is uncertain. Remember we talked about Christians and guys like me uh, so often being too busy to think about what God has for us, to read our Bibles, to pray, to, in other words, do the basic Christian one-on-one things. There's a lot of confusion about our society, what they want. And there's no doubt we live in a confused world. Uh, God has truth, we have his truth, we should be able to direct people to the truth. Uh, There's a magazine, Scientific American, reports a lot of confusion and disagreement among us, among Americans, what it means to be genuinely authentic. That's a word you see in a lot of things. He's an authentic believer. He's an authentic, so that word is used. What does that mean? What it turns out is people use that term to try to sound cool, but no one uses it the same way. When someone uses the word authenticity, they generally make a mess out of it. So often people will say, are you being most authentic when you're being consistent with your emotions? Are you being most authentic when you're consistent with your beliefs? Was it the time you gave the waiter a piece of your mind? Or was it the time you didn't tell the waiter you really thought about their dismal performance because you value kindness? When people are talking about authenticity, perhaps what they're saying is, who am I? Who am I really? And all of us probably want to be people who demonstrate the authenticity authenticity of a relationship with God by being, like Jesus here, compassionate towards others, living for something bigger than ourselves. Because you get up today, everybody's got laundry, everybody's got dishes, everybody's got to be concerned about, did you pay your taxes, or your elect- is your electric- electricity fine? Uh, did the washing machine go out again? And we need to put all those things in context and say, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. What is my job? You shall be my witnesses. That's what God wants us to do, to have some place in his plan of the Great Commission, which is evangelism and discipleship. Somehow I'm being discipled, I'm helping decide somebody else, and somehow when God gives me that chance for spiritual conversation, I share the gospel. That's what Jesus did. Thank you very much.